Hey, Kristen. Well, hello, Caroline. Hello. Today, we are doing something brand new on the podcast. This episode is our first installment of Ask Unladylike, where we're going to be answering your burning questions about complicated friendships, uncomfortable family issues, toxic workplaces, you name it. Yeah, basically the kind of stuff that Google is really no good at answering. Oh, for sure. And listen, you know, sometimes we will bring in experts to weigh in, but we'll also be sharing our own personal experiences and relying on our decade of research into gender and identity to get to the bottom of what is going on. Well, Caroline, are you ready to give some unladylike advice? Let's do it. Our inaugural letter today is a question about love. And I don't know if I should say, like, love in quotes, um, but, like, the mythology of love and how we think about this. So, Caroline, would you like to read this letter that we received from Unladylike listener Jen? I would be honored. I thought you were going to say I would love to, just to stay on theme, but... (laughs) Oh! (laughs) Oh, man, this goldfish honor gets (laughs) me every time. Okay. Hi, Kristen and Caroline. I I don't, Jen, I don't know if you talk like that. Hi, Kristen and Caroline. Hello, Jen. (laughs) The concept of the quote-unquote one has ruined me. Society has pushed this notion of your one true love, your soulmate, the only person in the whole world of 7.53 billion people as of 2017 that is made for you. Now, I'm not bitter about love. I love love, and I'm in love with a wonderful man who treats me better than I ever could have imagined. Yet I still have this thought process throughout my relationship and all my previous relationships that he is the one. It's honestly a very destructive and unhealthy way to look at love and relationships. I know it is, and yet I still enter all relationships thinking they're my soulmate. Before the Victorian age, before the notion of romance and marrying for love, the concept of the one didn't exist. So it's not like humanity can't function properly without this concept, and yet I can't help myself. It was ingrained into my upbringing, thanks to Disney and other childhood stories tailored to all girls as the only purpose for living as a woman is to find your one true love. What complete bullshit! It's made me feel as though I can't be happy without a man in my life. I have a very successful career I've worked extremely hard for, and yet that's not enough for me if I haven't found the one yet. I'm going to challenge myself to throw aside this concept. In a year, if I'm still madly in love with the man I'm with now, I'm not going to label him my soulmate. He's just the man I've decided to spend my life with. And if I'm not, I'm going to make having a successful career enough to be happy. It is for men, so why can't it be for women? What do y'all think of the notion of the one? Well, I know what I have to say about this. What's that? There's no such thing as the one. Jen is exactly right, although there is a lot of conflict inherent in her email. Yes. I'm hearing a lot of wrestling that Jen is doing between her logical side that knows that the one is bullshit and her... 
what would that be? Maybe her romantic side that longs for the one? Yeah. I think what jumps out to me immediately from the letter is a bit of a false equivalence towards the end. Mm. So as soon as she talks about challenging herself to throw aside this concept, I, I fully, I'm on board. I support it. Let, let's challenge this, like, toxic, useless idea of the soulmate and throw it aside. You know, she, she talks about how she's, like, madly in love with this man she's with, and she's not going to label him her soulmate. He's just the man I've decided to spend my life with. But if not, I'm going to make having a successful career enough to be happy. And mm. my thought is like, wait, why the stark choice? Because if we're deciding that soulmates don't exist and that you can just choose your partner, commit to your partner and love your partner, they don't have to be this like fictional soulmate. If it doesn't work out with this guy, why do you have to choose your job? Like the GIF says that circulates Twitter all the time, why not both? Why can't you prioritize your job like you want to do and also accept love into your life? Yeah, and and I think that she explains kind of kind of gives us the reason for that conflict in the paragraph above where she says it's made me feel as though I can't be happy without a man in my life. Cuz that's where she also mentions I have a successful career, I've worked really hard for, and yet that's not enough for me if I haven't found the one yet. So not to play, well, maybe to play therapist for a minute, I, I too am seeing like kind of the false equivalence there. And I'm wondering if Jen is directing a lot of this false belief that she is not a whole person without another person. Um, if she's kind of just directing all of that angst and conflict into the central cultural mythology of the one, kind of externalizing that Mm -hmm. rather than maybe paying a little bit closer attention to, well, what is it? What is it about not having a partner that makes you feel incomplete? I mean, this is something that we really unpacked a lot in our singlehood series Mm -hmm. not too long ago. The idea of compulsory monogamy, of the ways that like legally we prioritize and incentivize partnerships and often like heterosexual partnerships. Um, And culturally, we do the same thing as well. Um, And I want to take a take a brief pause away from Jen, because I'm curious, Caroline, did the one, that idea, influence your childhood at all? Because I totally hear what she's saying about like, oh my God, the Disney princesses and happily ever after that totally got in my head. Oh yeah. I just sort of took it for granted that like, I'll grow up and I'll, I'll meet the one. I don't know how like conscious that thought even was, but it was just something that I believed the same way that, you know, 
When you're a kid, like before you've actually like grown up and had life experience and thought critically about what you actually want, you assume like, yes, I will grow up. I will take my husband's last name. I will have 2.5 children and a dog and a fence and it will be perfect. Because, you know, what do you know as a kid? You're just watching The Little Mermaid and you're like, I will give up my voice for a man. What I want from you is your voice. My voice? You've got it, sweet cakes. No more talking, singing, zip. But without my voice, how can I... You'll have your looks, your pretty face. And don't underestimate the importance of body language. I think what the the soulmate myth does is it makes you believe that there is a perfect person out there. Mm-hmm. Um, when, come on, y'all, we know better. Nobody's perfect, including us and including anyone that we would date or marry. <laughs> no one is perfect. And that belief, like, really sets you, well, let me say, it set me up to believe that if there was conflict or if we disagreed or if, like, the person is frustrating the hell out of me, then, like, oh, it must not be right. Mm. This isn't the right person. And it's not all just, like, coming together. So I'm not going to stick around. Like, I clearly need to go find someone who's right for me. And that idea is, like, the deluded version of the soulmate myth, right? Like, the person who's right for me? Like, yeah, there's, there's a person out there or there, there are people out there who, like, fit with you better because of beliefs and values and attitudes and, you know, terrible movie choices and things like that. But it, the soulmate myth and believing that, like, oh, there's the right person or the wrong person ignores the fact that human relationships are a lot of work. And that has absolutely <laughs> fucked up some relationships. Yes, it has. And we're going to take a quick break on that cliffhanger. Uh, when we come back, Caroline, I want to know when you broke open the myth of the one in your own life. Oh, Lord. Stick around. We're back talking about this idea of the one, your one and only soulmate. And I'm curious, Caroline, when you started to realize that the one was in fact a myth, like, was there any kind of pivotal moment where you were like, oh, oh, yeah, this is this is bullshit. This has kept me avoiding conflict and just running rather than actually like staying and working on things. Um When did you start to unlearn the one? When I read Jen's email, I was trying to figure that out. I was trying to think about if there was a moment. And if there was, I don't remember it. It might have been just a more gradual learning of things as I got older and had more relationship experience. Because I think that in in my last relationship, for instance, I think a lot of those things clashed because multiple things can be true at one time, right? Like, it's true that there's no such thing as a soulmate, but it's also true that there are people out there who are wrong for you. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But it's 
also true that you can't rest on the idea of the relationship is going to be perfect. And if it's not perfect, that means it's not working. Like there was just I had a lot of conflict in my last relationship around all of these like competing ideas. And I even, you know, even after the idea of the soulmate had been extricated from my brain, I still held ideas about like this one particular person that I had had a romance with when I was college aged, thinking that like, no, he's not my soulmate, but he's like, he's perfect for me. Mm -hmm. And then Kristen, he fucking broke my heart and turned out to be not only like kind of a shitty person, but just like a fucking snob. And as if I needed any more proof that the soulmate didn't exist, I was like, you know what, self, it doesn't matter how perfect someone is on paper or how much they tick all your boxes, you know, of what you're looking for, like what you're what's on your vision board. Some people are just wrong for you, and that is okay. And there are, like Jen specified, over 7 billion other people out there in the world. And when the time is right and, like, you've done the work on yourself and you're in a place where you're feeling emotionally and mentally healthy and you can accept and commit to a good relationship, then I think you can make a good relationship happen instead of forcing it. Mm -hmm. But (laughs) I just said a lot of words. So, Kristen, what was your idea around the soulmate when you were growing up? Oh, I firmly believe that he existed, um, and I knew who he was. Oh. Because uh, his name was Prince William. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I crushed hard constantly as a girl, but, like, the intensity of my tween age obsession and dedication to Prince William, I mean, it's just bar none. Um, I just, I knew, I knew. I mean, we had, Caroline, we had everything in common. Uh-huh. He was left-handed. Oh. I'm left-handed. He likes music, mm-hmm. as do I. Yeah. Um, and really the left hand was a very strong, I felt like that was a very strong bond. Um so I guess I didn't meet many other people who were left-handed. Um, and maybe maybe I should go ahead and say now that uh, reveal that that my that my husband he's right-handed. So, oh my god! Uh, I mean, how do you get past that? Well, I haven't. You know, <laughs> I haven't. It's a work in progress. But I think that like. Uh, on a serious level, like, I mean, obviously, you know, we, we have our, our childhood crushes, but when I read Jen's letter and I was thinking as well about my own beliefs and how it evolved um, to kind of unlearn the myth of the one, the first relationship that jumps out to me was um, the first guy who I really, I really did genuinely think that he, he was the one and he thought that I was the one. And I met him in while I was in college and he was a bit older and he was a poet and like things were just very it was the first time like I'd been romanced and like I I felt chosen too. Mm. Like cuz he was this older guy with cool friends and 
who was I, you know, just some like young rando. Um, And what I never expected in the course of that relationship was that I would fall out of love with him. And we were together for a, a, a few years and you know, he'd met my family. Um, I, at that time, even though I was in my early 20s, which is wild to think of now, mm-hmm. you know, I was envisioning our life together. Like, I really wanted us to, like, move somewhere together and um, make make a life together. And the process of me falling out of love with him and me then also becoming attracted to other people was something that I was wholly unprepared for. Mm. Because I wanted to believe in the one. Yeah. It's a lot easier in a lot of ways to buy into the one. Because if there's just the one, bing, bing, once you find it, you got it, bag it, take it home, live with it for the rest of your life. Yeah, you, and you don't have to do anything else, right? Exactly. You set it and forget it. It's like an instant pot. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I I remember being fairly fresh out of college. I'm I'm starting to kind of make my own way in the world for the first time and suddenly like this this relationship has just lost its luster and I didn't know how to end it because on paper he was everything that I should want. Right. He was everything that I assumed my soulmate would have. And so I assume there was something wrong with me mm-hmm. that I no longer wanted that. And it kind of fucked me up for a little bit, to be totally honest, because I, I went through a phase of just assuming that I was broken in some way of like, well, I couldn't I couldn't hang on to this good thing. I wanted to destroy this good thing that I had. So I must be incapable of of actually like maintaining a solid worthwhile relationship. Well, yeah, I mean I I hear that, but like let's fast forward. I mean, you are married now. I'd say you're yes. in a solid worthwhile relationship. So, how did or or how does the concept of the one play into that? Play into your marriage. Well, let me start with the proposal, Caroline. <laughs> when my now husband proposed to me, first of all, it was not a surprise. Okay. We had <laughs> talked about it. So I would like to put that out there. <laughs> but when he proposed to me, I was I was happy about it. And I immediately said yes, not because I thought that he was the one. And I almost feel guilty saying that out loud because how <laughs> what a terribly unromantic thing to say. But <laughs> I said yes because the one does not exist, but this is the person that I choose. Yes. Yes, yes. This is the yes. person that I choose. And I feel like he and I both have had to re-choose each other at various points in our relationship. You know, it is a constant kind of thing. And once I, the thing that I really locked into as I was kind of working out my, just the weirdness of being like, engaged. Like, oh God, what does that mean? Um, Am I buying into these like patriarchal norms? But what I really settled on was like, no, like I'm, I am choosing this. I am actively choosing this. And I feel okay about that. 
Lord have mercy. I, I, I sound so unromantic, but do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, love is in the mundane, right? To continue the theme of sounding unromantic, like, love is not in the Valentine's Days and the anniversaries and the birthday dinners and the rituals. Because rituals are easy to fake and easy to fake your way through and and treat as evidence that your relationship is strong. Love or or the one, the concept of the one... Like I said before, I truly believe that the one, A, doesn't exist, but on the other side of that coin, the one is who you choose. And the person you choose is ultimately the person that you're going to have to slog through some mundane bullshit with. Mm -hmm. And if you don't know how to, or if you don't want to or cannot communicate and respect each other, through the mundane and through the annoying mm-hmm. and through the disappointing mm-hmm. um, because they will annoy you. They will disappoint you. Uh, they will piss you off. If you can't communicate and respect each other through that, then I don't know. Then then what is your relationship? Exactly. And <laughs> and all of that mundane stuff and building respect and, and going through those tough parts of the relationship for the long haul, that is what is left out of the fairy tale happily ever after dot, dot, dot. That is what the myth of the one that we're so often raised with leaves out entirely. So going back to to Jen, like if I could wave a magic wand and kind of rewrite the pop cultural script of the one, it would be in reframing the one as as yourself like jen what i would Mm, i would mm -hmm. love you to choose yourself i would love you to choose yourself because and i say that because you are understandably as we've just been explaining caroline and i have been there some days i'm still there you are feeling incomplete in yourself and even the idea that like it's a man or it's a career those are two things that are both outside of you and so Mm -hmm. I would challenge Jen to Jen I would challenge you to ask yourself what about you and you alone feels lacking because another person or another career you know that that that's a good fit they're going to amplify the good things that you like about yourself. But they're not going to change the DNA of who you are. They might challenge you to be a better person, but that's ultimately, again, it's up to you whether you want to be that better person. So, Caroline, just imagine how our lives might have been different if if our Disney uh, fairy tales had been about... (laughs) You know, the girl ultimately, like, choosing herself as the one. Not in a selfish way, but in a way of, like, oh, I can be I can be a full and complete person by myself or with a partner. Well, if our uh, Disney movies and rom-coms were along those lines, we wouldn't have bestsellers like Codependent No More. 
<laughs> because truly, because because looking for external validation, and we have all been there, and it's constantly a battle. I fight myself. You can't put the onus on someone else or something else to complete you. You're exactly right. And if you go into relationships or careers or hobbies or whatever, thinking that they will complete you, that's a recipe for depression and crashing and burning and having a low sense of self-worth. Relationships are best and they are healthiest when it is too fully formed humans paddling their own canoes next to each other rather than trying to get into the other person's canoe. Listen, and I'm not going to limit it to two canoes. There are some people who make it work with three canoes, four canoes, <laughs> etc. You could have a whole yeah. lake full of canoes. I love a canoe. Um, if, if there's one thing that I would could recommend as homework reading, it would be one of our faves, an unladylike classic, Marriage, A History by Stephanie Coons, mm-hmm. um, because that was another yeah. kind of seminal book for me that I read that really reframed um, and gave me the cultural context of like where a lot of our Western ideas of marriage and romantic marriage, marrying for love came from, uh, because Jen was right that like kind of pre-Victorian era the idea of marrying for love was extremely foreign. And I just wanted to quote Stephanie Kuntz, that author, who wrote, This package of expectations about love, marriage, and sex is extremely rare. When we look at the historical record around the world, the customs of modern North America and Western Europe appear exotic and exceptional. Like the idea that whoever you quote unquote end up with should be your soulmate, your best friend, your lover, your you know, your muse, like all of the things, the uh, the co-parent to your children or to your dog, whatever it is, like no one person can fulfill all of these all of these different roles and it's unrealistic for us to expect that of another person because lord knows I would not want that expected of me. So Jen, choose you. You choose you. Choose you. Yeah, I like that. Choose you and let yourself off the hook. Like yeah. It yeah. sounds like you're in love with your your dude and let yourself be in love with your dude and love him. But love him actively. Just like you love yourself actively. Continue to work on yourself and being your own whole person who chooses yourself. But don't forget that another part of dismantling the one or the soulmate is that, you know, you actually have to, like, work at relationships and, and be respectful of your partner. So choose yourself and, and choose choose to keep working on it. And we are choosing to take a quick break. Now, since Jen originally wrote to us way back in 2018, we decided to reach back out to her to see how she's doing. And when we come back, y'all, we've got an update from Jen. (laughs) I I have no idea what's about to happen. Y'all, stick around.
All right, we are back. Now, we actually received this letter from listener Jen a while back. So, unladylike senior producer Nora reached out to her for an update on how things have gone since then. And Jen responded, oh my God. I am thrilled, Jen. We so appreciate you updating us. And y'all, seriously, like Kristen and I have not had our eyeballs on this letter yet. Um, Nora has kept it a secret from us. So we are getting to it for the first time right now. And Kristen, would you do me the honor of reading Jen's update? I would gladly accept that proposal, Caroline. (laughs) A thousand times yes. Okay, y'all, here we go. Jen writes... So I didn't throw away the concept of the one, but I did alter how I view, think, and act about it. I'm no longer with the boyfriend I was dating when I wrote the initial letter, and I haven't been in a serious relationship since. I now view the one as there are more than just one one, and there are different types of the one. There's the one that's your best platonic friend, or the one who saved you from depression, or the one who taught you how you deserve to be treated, or the one who taught you what you don't want in a romantic relationship. All these ones have not been in vain. You walk away learning and growing from each experience. Side note, Caroline, I already have goosebumps. Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> Whenever I start talking with someone and it's looking promising, the concept of the one still pops in to bother me, but not in the same way as when I first wrote to you. I think now, optimistically, that this person might be the one I choose to spend the rest of my life with, but think realistically that this person might be a different kind of the one in the end, and that's okay. I know that if this person doesn't end up being the one I choose to spend the rest of my life with, I'll be okay with them being the one who taught me what I am or am not looking for in the person I end up choosing to spend the rest of my life with. As I said in my previous letter, I have a successful career, a career that I love. I'm in the early stages of starting the house buying process Mm. this year. I adopted a dog almost two years ago, a short time after my last serious relationship ended, and I love my dog unconditionally. (laughs) Uh, Jen, as someone sitting here reading this with an adopted dog in her lap, totally relate. I am so lucky to live close to my parents and brother and have amazingly supportive friends near and far. It's just my love life that still seems to be the big question up in the air, but I do feel better about my changed perspective regarding the one and how it doesn't control me anymore, at least not to the extent that it did in my teens and early 20s. I can also proudly say I am happy without a man in my life. It's taken a lot of self-growth therapy, repetitive practice, trial and error, etc., to be able to say and share all of this. I can only hope others reach the point I have and not necessarily throw away the entire notion of the one because it does represent companionship and love, which everyone mostly wants and definitely deserves. I know I do. Oh my god! Kristen, um, Jen took your advice. <laughs> she chose herself. Yeah. Yeah. She 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 has a happily ever after dot 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 with herself. And 
I don't mean that in a way of like, well, that's it. Love life over. I really mean it in just the way of like, good for you, Jen. Like you, you clearly have been doing the work. I love Mm -hmm. a woman in therapy. (laughs) I love a woman who does work on herself. And I love a woman who adopts a dog. Well, and I'm also not hearing that same binary that she originally presented us of like the fulfilling work career or the fulfilling relationship. Like Jen has clearly sort of expanded her definition of what she needs and has around her already Mm -hmm. that really makes her life fulfilling and... I'm just so proud of Jen, and I'm so happy for her. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I love what she says about, like, the, the, like the, so the concept of the one is still floating around of, like, there will be someone that I ultimately decide to, to stick it out with for the rest of my life until I'm old mm-hmm. and gray. Um, like, I get that, and I, I feel the same way. Like, I—, I you know, even though I don't believe in like soulmates, there is ultimately like a person you pick and commit to. Mm-hmm. But I love what she says about how you can learn from all of your experiences because yes. I, at 37, can genuinely, can genuinely look back at 99% of my romantic entanglements <laughs> and genuinely say that. I, I don't regret the slip ups or, you know, the, the pratfalls that I'm that yeah. I did learn from them. And I am so glad that Jen is in that space, too. Yeah. And and two words that Jen repeated throughout her letter that also makes me so happy are I choose. I choose. Yeah. The fact that that she can comfortably say, like, I choose. Um, that's that's a great place to be. Yeah. And also, um, Jen, you are steps ahead of me, too, in terms of adulting, because you are working on buying a house. But I that is an advice segment for another time, Caroline, because <laughs> I am hearing myself <laughs> shaming myself. So maybe we should wrap up. <laughs> <sighs> If y'all have questions you want answered in a future episode of Ask Unladylike, drop us a line, why don't you? We're at hello at unladylike.co. And if you want to learn more about the concept of the one, we would recommend checking out Stephanie Kuntz's book, Marriage, A History, How Love Conquered Marriage. That book definitely helped us think through some of the history of love, marriage, and relationships that we referenced in this episode. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Unladylike Media. You can also support us by joining our Patreon. You'll get weekly bonus episodes, listener advice, yes, more listener advice, and our undying love at patreon.com slash unladylikemedia. Nora Ritchie is the senior producer of Unladylike. Gianna Palmer is our story editor. Shruti Marate transcribes our tape. Our music is by Flamingo Shadow, Amit May Cohen, and Sarah Tudson. Mixing is by Andy Christens. Sound design and additional music is by Casey Holford and Andy Christens. Executive producers are Peter Clowney, Daisy Rosario, and Unladylike Media. 
This podcast was created by your hosts, Kristen Conger and Caroline Irvin of Unladylike Media. Next week, there was that part of me that was so afraid that someone would look at me and go, no, you don't have ADHD. You're just looking for an excuse. And that fear kept me from addressing this and bringing it up to a doctor until I was 22. We're doing a deep dive on one of our most requested topics, ADHD. We're going to hear from Unladylike listeners about their experiences and try to figure out why so many adult women are getting diagnosed. You don't want to miss this episode, so make sure you're subscribed to Unladylike. Find us in Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And remember, got a problem? Get Unladylike! Well, I'm curious, like, now, you know, you're you're married, you you are in a solid, worthwhile relationship. So how has the concept of the one played into your marriage? Well, he was the only one who would ask, Caroline. <laughs> That's what my mother said. <laughs> Stitcher.